Matthew chapter 7. Today I'm speaking about a word you can count on. Just hold your place. This is just uh, relates to my introduction and I want you to read, I want to read this in a moment. Uh, while you're finding that, let me just say that uh, we have received enough uh, contributions in memorial, uh, in memory of Mary Halsell, Mary Elizabeth Halsell, who went to be with the Lord recently, wife of a former pastor of our church, Dr. Thomas E. Halsell, the late Dr. Halsell. Uh, we, bought, we have received enough money to buy 50 memorial Gideon Bibles. And so Billy Barton has been handling that and that's been completed. Also, uh, today is the third and the last Sunday that we will be emphasizing the love offering for the Wayne Puckett family. Uh, Wayne is now at the VA hospital rehab. Uh, he has occasionally shown some improvements, but still far, far from where he needs to be and has been off work for quite some time and will not be able to go back to work, barring a miracle from God, and we're not going to rule that out. And his wife has missed work a lot in taking care of him during these days. So we've received over $1,700 for that family, and thank you for your response. If you were, have not been here and want to participate, there are love offering envelopes in the pew racks. Let me share with you something uh, that I read this week. We have a a friend who was only in his mid-30s, uh, Air Force pilot who went to be with the Lord this past week. Matter of fact, yesterday his funeral service was in Shreveport, Louisiana at Barksdale Air Force Base. I would have loved to have been present had it been possible uh, to be there. He, was, he came to our church in Niceville as a young airman. Uh, he was enlisted in the Air Force and he uh, progressed rapidly and showed great intellectual skill and leadership skill. So uh, he reached a point when the Air Force, uh, they paid him and paid him a salary, his salary, to go to the University of Tennessee to get a degree in engineering. And, and after completing his degree in engineering, then he was commissioned as an officer into the Air, Air Force and became uh, an Air Force pilot. And within the past year, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. He and his young wife had been married for three and a half years, and they had a three-month-old little baby. Uh, Eric Smith was a fine, fine young man. He was a member of our singles ministry that we had at, at Rocky Bayou. Every Thursday night, the singles would gather for a extra worship service. They participated in Sunday morning and Sunday nights, but on Thursdays we had a service that was geared for singles. It was geared for where they could invite their friends to come, and we had between 80 and 100 young single adults every Thursday night. And Eric was one of the worship team leaders as he sang and played guitar. An incredible young man whose life was lived for the Lord and all along during his illness, we've been keeping up with this family uh, through the caringbridge.org on the internet. And it's, uh, I'd like to read the last journal that we received. This was following, immediately following the death of Eric Smith. It starts out with Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's got a picture of Eric in his flight suit holding his little baby, three-month little baby boy with the Air Force hat on his head. 
Laura, his wife, writes this, Three and a half years ago, I married the most wonderful man I know and my very best friend. Today, he went to be with Jesus. He was ready to go. The cancer here on earth won, but he is forever with the Lord. While this was the most difficult day of my life, I can honestly say that I have a peace that only comes from the Lord. Peace that Eric is in a place where there is no more sorrow, no more suffering, and no more pain. He no longer has to struggle with throwing up profusely, no longer has to stay up all night trying to get comfortable sleeping because he is in such pain, no longer must suffer through chemotherapy and radiation that takes away every ounce of his energy, no longer has to deal with the extreme sadness because he has no strength to carry his son or even hold him in his arms. He is with Jesus playing his guitar and worshiping his almighty maker who received him today with open arms. We are his, we as his loved ones all have the opportunity to cheer him on this morning to his home in heaven. I smile as I think about him there and cry as I think about him not with me here on earth. Second Timothy 4, 7 says, and she changed the words a little bit to make it he instead of Paul writing to I as I. He has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. This I believe to be true of my dear husband who was also a dear son, brother, father, and friend. Eric demonstrated even to the end of his life here on earth that he was honored to carry the part of the cross that Jesus asked him to bear. I can still hear him saying to himself as he was over the toilet throwing up, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Never once did I hear him complain about what he was facing. I also will never forget how throughout our journey Eric would encourage me when I was struggling. Laura, our best days are ahead. Our best days are ahead. Thank you, Eric, for pointing me and everyone else to Jesus we ache because we don't know how to live without you here on earth with us. But we are thankful that you are in a better place. And then she gives the information about the service. Now how, how and I'm guessing he's in mid-30s. He could be early 30s, I don't know, early to mid-30s. I've lost track. But how can a young man and how can a young wife and mother have the kind of faith that's displayed in what she just wrote and those words that you just heard. How does a person go through the, the most tragic trials of life and traumatic experiences? How can they go through that and have a deep abiding faith in Jesus Christ? I'll tell you the way they did. It's because their lives were built around the Word of God and on the Word of God. And on the God of the Word and Jesus Christ, who was the, the Word incarnate, God incarnate, and came to earth. And, and I had you open up to Matthew chapter 7 because I want to read what the Bible says, the words of Jesus at the very close of the Sermon on the Mount. I'll read the 24th verse all the way to, to the end of the chapter. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who, who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house 
upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their own scribes. Now that scripture passage deals primarily about the floods that will come on the souls of men and women and people in general in the end time, in the time of judgment. Those who have built their lives on the bedrock of the word of God and the Christ of that word have received him as Lord and Savior will be like a man that built his house on the rock and when the winds blew and the rains came, the storms came, his house stood firm. But those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ or ignore the gospel of Jesus Christ or just live their their lives for themselves are not willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus Christ. They, in that day of judgment, the the winds of judgment will come and the rains and floods of judgment will come and their lives will be condemned to eternal condemnation. They will live forever apart from the love of God under the judgment of God. Now, we can apply that, and I'd like to do that. We can apply that to when the storms of life while we're living come, not just in the day of judgment, but we have storms in our lives, just like the Smith family had a tremendous storm in their life. We all are going to have those storms sooner or later. You're either headed into a storm or you're in a storm or you've just come out of a storm in your life. You're somewhere in those three situations. And if you hadn't got a storm yet, listen, it's going to come. Because life is hard and life is difficult and life sometimes is full of surprises for us, not for God. And God's ways are mysterious and we don't always understand immediately his purposes. My wife's in Florida, has been since Wednesday and she visited the grandkids and our, daughter, our son and his wife. Yesterday she drove over to Niceville. We got a friend who is a head basketball coach at Northwest Florida State University, our college there in Niceville, formerly a community college. And uh, he has been, uh, we've been in correspondence and emailing and, and uh, talking on the telephone, but Brenda went to their house yesterday and she was just so sad because she said that it looks like that brain tumor is going to take him on to heaven. And, you know, there's that sadness on our part. And here's a, a man in his 50s, uh, got three kids, and the, the youngest is, uh, I guess, just in her first or year college, perhaps, and uh, healthy, ran six miles a day, did everything he could to keep in shape, was an outstanding basketball coach, and now can, is so sick he can hardly get out of bed. These things happen, folks. The storms come. We have got to build our lives on God's word and we have to build the word of God into our lives. That's why we're asking you to read it daily. That's why we teach it in Sunday school. That's why we preach it from this pulpit. We need the word of God. We need to have a faith that is fixed on God and his word and it will sustain us in our difficult times of life as well as in our everyday living. Now, I know I won't finish the sermon that I prepared today, so don't worry about it, okay? I'm just in the introduction. 
But I want to share with you a, a message about a word you can count on. And I'm talking about this book, the Bible, the Word of God. And I'm just going to be referring to a lot of different scriptures. And you may not have time to turn to all of them. That's okay. Just listen and grasp what you're able to. And if we don't get through all seven points today, which I doubt that we will, I'll just rattle them off the rest of them at the end that we don't get to. And we'll pick up another Sunday and get to those. But I want you to know something. Every day, millions of pages of materials are printed every single week in newspapers, periodicals, books. Thousands of new books are printed every month. There's a wealth of, of great Christian literature available for us and computer Christian computer software to help you in your study of the Bible. And, and yet the Bible remains as the only source that is inspired by God. It is the only source of divine revelation and divine power that can sustain you, can sustain the Christian in your daily walk with God. This word, it's the inspired word of God. I'll say more of that in just a moment. But when I say inspired, I'm not talking about like someone who feels inspired to write a song. Sometimes you hear songwriters say, God inspired me to write this song or he inspired this song. There are great works of uh, history and literature that literary, literary works that people say were inspired. Those men were inspired or women were inspired to write those great works of literature. But when we say that the Bible is inspired, that's something different. That means that God, the, the, its inspiration is the method that God has given his revelation, his truth to us. Before I get into the inspiration of Scripture, I want to just share with you, remind you some things we've talked about already, that the Bible is the source of truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in Psalm 119, verse 160, the Bible says the sum of your word is truth. The Bible is a source of blessing also. When we obey it, in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, the Bible says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. That means obey it. The Bible is a source of victory in our lives. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, the Bible says that the Bible is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that we're to take up in the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible is a source of growth. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow. The Bible is a source of power in our lives. In Romans 1.16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the Bible is a source of guidance in our lives. The Bible, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You've heard of Sir Walter Scott. He was a famed British novelist and also a poet. He was also a committed Christian. And on his deathbed, it is reported that he said to his secretary to bring him the book. And she began to think about all the thousands of books in his library. And so she asked Dr. Scott, she said, Dr. Scott, which book? And he responded to her, he said, the book. He said, the book, the Bible, is the only book for a dying man. 
And I would say today to the committed Christian that we would have to add to that statement that the Bible is not only a, the only book for a dying man, but it is the only book for a living man. It is a book that we need in our lives every day. The Bible is a word that you can count on. We can have confidence that the Bible is perfect because it was written or inspired by God who is perfect. I want to give you seven truths about the Bible. I'll spend longer on these first few and I'll just briefly mention the rest and, and like I say, we can finish this another time. First of all, as we think about seven truths about the Word of God, the Bible, I want you to know first of all that God's Word is inspired. It is inspired. And, and I believe the Bible is very clear that it was verbally inspired. God just didn't inspire thoughts to these biblical writers and they took off and wrote and expanded on those thoughts. No, that's not the way it happened. We know that the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We also know that the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not man interpreting the events of life and the things of God and putting it in his own words. And this is not information that he thought up. It is of no private interpretation or one's own interpretation. For, for no prophecy, and prophecy doesn't have to speak about predicting the future. It can be just the foretelling and the proclaiming and the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. <clears throat> Note that. No, no prophecy, no uh, inspired Word of God given by God. It was not... It was not made by an act. It was not written by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the method that God has spoken and given us his revealed truth, his revelation, has been through the inspired word of God. God has spoken it. He spoke it to those who penned it and wrote it down that we have today. And this Bible is the word of God. Of God, It is inspired by God. You know, God spoke the world into existence and the creation is the natural revelation of God. It's one way that God has revealed himself. We see his handprints all over nature in what God has created. There had to be a designer. For every design, there is a designer. And God is the designer of this universe and the one who spoke it into existence. In Psalm 33, 6, the Bible says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. By the breath of God's mouth, this world, this universe, came into existence. I want you to know this, that God breathed the universe into existence, and then he breathed the Bible into existence. We read that scripture that said, All scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed. He gave the... He gave the writers of our Old Testament and New Testament the exact words that he wanted them to speak. So this uh, 
this, rev this inspiration of the scripture, this revelation of himself through scripture is called special revelation. It's, it's what we have in the Bible and it came the same way that natural revelation came. It came by the breath of God. When, God, when the scripture speaks, that is God speaking. When you read the Bible, you're reading and hearing the very voice of God. You're reading the words that God has given to us and he gave it through man. He could have just dropped the Bible down from out of heaven like revelatory rain. He could have just let it fall right out of the sky. But he didn't. He gave it in a special way. He gave it over a period of 1,500 years. He gave it through uh, approximately 40 different people who penned and wrote the scriptures. And he gave them verbatim the words that he wanted them to say. <clears throat> the Bible writers in both the Old Testament and the New Testament were commissioned by God to write God's revelation in God's own words. If we had time, I would read you from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel how they all said that they were, what they were writing was the word of the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, I will read this passage of Scripture because it was one that I had overlooked in the past. Galatians. Maybe I don't have it tagged, but I'll find it. <clears throat> Galatians. Chapter 1, notice what the Bible says in the uh, verses 15 and following. Now this is Paul writing to the church, at Gal uh, the, the, to the Galatians, and he's, uh, he says in verse 15, but when he who had sent me apart, had set me apart, that's God, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. That means to save him and to put Christ in him. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now notice the next phrase in verse, the end of verse 16. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. When Paul got saved, he didn't go to the apostles and let the apostles teach him biblical truth revelatory truth from God and then wrote what he wrote in the New Testament. He gave us uh, 13 books of the New Testament. That's not the way he did. Notice he said, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And then he tells us what he did, verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Verse 18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem and became acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that this truth that I've learned, I didn't go to man and learn it. Flesh and blood didn't teach me this. The apostles didn't teach me this. He said, I went to an Arabian desert for three years. He went to the seminary of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God gave him the divine revelation, word for word, that we read in our New Testament in the books that Paul penned. And he, he received that truth from God and then he went to the apostles and he began the ministry that God had called him to do. So the writers of the New Testament, even what we read in Peter earlier, they, did not, they were not speaking their own words. They were speaking the words that God had given them. Even when Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses told him, I can't do it, God. I don't, I don't speak so good. And God said, I will put my words in your mouth. 
and I will help you overcome your speech impediment. And I'm paraphrasing that part. That's what he was saying. Moses said, I, I, I can't speak so good and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not eloquent of speech and I can't be the one that do it. And God said, I will put my words in your mouth. I will be with your mouth. I will guide your mouth. I will give you the message. And Jesus affirmed that all the five, first five books of the Old Testament, the books of law that were given, Jesus affirmed that they were given by Moses. And Jesus quoted the books of Moses as if they were authoritative and they are and they are divine and they are inspired by God. And the Old Testament and the New Testament both are important together and all of scripture is the word of God. You remember in uh, Revelation chapter one, verses 10 and 11, that last book of the Bible where John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos in his older years, and God gave him the revelation. It bears that name, Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It was the last book that was written, and it was the latest book. It was written later, some years later, than the other books of the Bible. But you'll notice in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, John writes, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's the first day of the week. That's why we call Sunday now the Lord's Day. John started that. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. But notice the part I'm just trying to say is that the, he heard a voice. And it was a loud voice. It was the voice of God. And God told him what to write in a book. The Bible is verbally inspired by God. 3,800 times in the Bible, the writers of Scripture stated that they were writing what God had spoken. As you read in your daily Bible readings, notice in the Old Testament how many times it says, the Lord spoke, the Lord said, thus saith the Lord, the Lord spoke to me, the word of the Lord came to me over and over and over again. The writers are saying, what I'm telling you, it's not what I think. It's not my ideas. I didn't think up these thoughts. God gave them to me and he put the words in my mouth. And let me tell you, God did it in a unique way. God did it in a unique way. Let me, let me quote to you what uh, John MacArthur said in his book, Unleashing God's Word in Your Life. He said, inspiration is God's revelation communicated to us through writers who use their own minds and their own words. God so arranged their lives that their thoughts and their vocabularies and the, that the words that they chose were the words that God determined from eternity past that they would use to write his truth. You see, God used the personality of the writer. He used their vocabulary. That's why when we read different books of the Bible, we, ha we can tell their writing style. We know the writings of Paul. There's a certain style of writing and certain things he does in all the books that he wrote. And so God did it as, through the personality of the writers. He used their vocabulary, and yet the words he gave them were the words of God. They became the words of man, but they were the words of God. It's a, uniquely book, it's a unique book different than any other book. So we've seen, first of all, 
that God's word is inspired. Secondly, we'll just go as far as we can. Secondly, God's word is infallible. God's word is infallible. In its totality, it is a book that is infallible. Its, its truth will never fail. It will, it, will, it, will, uh, it will never cease to be true. It will never be outdated. It is infallible. It is the infallible word of God. In the original manuscripts, in the first copies, they were totally without error. Now, over the years, there have been thousands of, of hand copies made. They didn't have printing presses for a long time. And so when they copied the scripture, they did it by hand. And we know that there are slight variations in manuscripts over the centuries. But we have so many manuscripts, handwritten manuscripts, that we can compare and sort out these minor variations, none of which are serious enough to challenge the Bible's infallibility. I mean, for instance, if you've got if you've got 10,000 manuscripts and then you've got five out of those 10,000 that have some variations in them, but all the others all agree, you'll know that somewhere along the line there was a scribe and maybe he forgot to cross a T, speaking in our English language, or forgot to dot an I, or maybe he used a word that was different or maybe added something in or whatever, but we can know that. But we can trust the Bible we have because Scholars and theologians over the years have studied these manuscripts and they've been able to tell where these minor variations are and they said, hey, all of these are exactly alike. There's just a few over here that's a little bit different. So we're going to go with all of these that are exactly alike. And our Bible has been translated in that way from those <clears throat> reliable manuscripts. In Psalm 19:7, the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. The Bible is infallible, it's reliable, it is true, it is sure. The Bible is God's infallible word, the only rule for our faith and practice. It is the truth, it's truth that will never fail. In Psalm 119.60 that we wrote, read a moment ago, the entirety of your word is truth. The Bible says, the psalmist said about this, he spoke it to the Lord, the entirety of your word is truth. But see, God put those words in him to say even though he was speaking from his own heart. I'm telling you, God didn't bypass the mind and the emotions and the personalities of those who wrote the book, but God put the words in their mouth and gave them the things to say. I'll give you a great example. One is uh, Peter. When he made that great confession, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? He, and they said, well, some say you're this and this and that. And, and then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This didn't come out of your own mind. You didn't invent that. You didn't come up with that on your own. He goes on to say that God revealed it to you. God revealed it to you. So God's word is inspired. God's word is infallible. And God's word, thirdly, is inerrant. And inerrant and infallibility go close together. They both speak of the truthfulness of the word of God. But infallibility refers to its, its totality. And then inerrant means every single word. There is not a single error in scripture. Some people say, well, the Bible does have some errors in it because it speaks about the four corners of the earth. And so therefore the Bible thinks that the earth 
it's, it's, it's flat and it's got corners. No. Sometimes there's figures of speech in the Bible. I read to you last week some scientific uh, confirmation about that it, it, God's Word even told us that the earth was in a circle, it was in a sphere and in a globe. And so when it says the four corners of the earth, that's just a figure of speech. That's the way of saying it. We use that kind of terminology today. When the Bible says that, um, talk, I'm not, not sure the exact scripture, but we use terms today. For instance, we say uh, the sun is going to rise at a certain time and set at a certain time. Your meteorologists say that. Well, they know that the sun's not what's moving. It's the earth moving around it. But they still say the sun is rising, the sun is setting. Well, the Bible sometimes speaks in those kind of terms, but it doesn't mean that the Bible has errors in it. It is accurate. Proverbs 35, verse 5, 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. It is free from all falsehood and mistakes and errors. And then fourthly, God's word is authoritative. <clears throat> It is not only inerrant, it is authoritative. It, is com it has complete authority over our lives. It is the highest standard of authority. It is the final word on any subject covered by the word of God. It's binding on our lives. It's not, an option, it's not optional in regard to our obedience. We must obey, obey God's word because it is his word. And then I'll just give you the last two real quick. God's word is complete. That means there's not going to be a 67th book written. There's 66 books and that's it. In the last chapter of Revelation, the Bible tells us that we're not to add to this book or take away from this book. This book's complete. There's no more new revelation of truth given to man. Now we are illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand the truth that's there and sometimes we suddenly will understand something we haven't understood before. That doesn't mean it's new revelation. It's just that our minds and hearts have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. But in Jude chapter 3, the Bible, uh, not chapter 3, but Jude verse 3, it only has one chapter. The Bible says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints is talking about the word of God. This faith, this written word, this written account about God and about man and, and about all that God has done, we are to contend for the faith earnestly, this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I didn't read in Revelation at the end where it talks about not adding to the book. But you know, you know where that is at the end of, uh, says in verse 19, <clears throat> verse 18, I testify everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away from the, his part of the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So God's word is complete. Colby has taught us on Sunday nights that there's several ways that authenticate what books were included in the Bible. In the New Testament, for instance, it had to be written by an apostle or someone that was closely associated with the apostles. Uh, it could not contradict earlier books of Scripture that had been written. And it had to be widely accepted throughout the New Testament church. So the Word of God is complete. The Scriptures have been canonized. That's the term used to describe how they put together the books that were authenticated and met the qualifications. And then there's one final thing, two final things that I'll tell you. First of all, the Word of God is sufficient. 
It is sufficient. It's adequate to address our needs of daily living. The Bible is all that anyone needs to find salvation and to become mature in Jesus Christ. It equips us for every good work. And then number seven, God's word is effective. In Isaiah 55 verse 11, the Bible says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. One of the best things about being a preacher and a teacher of the word of God is that you know that it will do what it says. The Bible will do what it says. You're not left worrying about what to say when your product doesn't work. Like this vacuum cleaner salesman who went out into a rural part of the county. There was a, a lady who lived out there and he came to her house and he had this high pressure talk and he had this uh, vacuum cleaner and he said, Madam, I have the greatest product you've ever seen. This vacuum cleaner will suck up anything and if I'm not careful, it'll even suck up your carpet. It is so strong. And before the woman could have reply, he just went on and said, Lady, I want to give you a demonstration. And he went to the fireplace in her home. He took the ashes and he spread them out all over her carpet. He reached into his pocket. He had a bag of dirt. He dumped that out. He had some other things that he put on the floor. You've seen some of these de demonstrations probably. I have. They put all this dirt on your floor and then they show you what their vacuum cleaner will do. Well, after he did that, he, uh, he, the, the woman was just aghast and speechless and he said I guarantee ma'am it'll suck up every bit of everything that I've thrown onto your floor and then he gave her this promise he said if it doesn't suck up every bit of this I'll eat it all with a spoon and the lady said she looked the salesman in the eye and she finally found her voice again and she said well sir you better start eating because we ain't got no electricity here <clears throat> well the Bible will never fail. It's a product we can always count on and the electricity never goes out because the Holy Spirit is the one that speaks it to our heart. And I want to say to you today, this word we can read and learn with great confidence. It is the word of God. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, we invite you to come to Him. He's the one that gave us this book. And in this book, He tells us you must be born again. You must have a new birth. You must be born from above. Jesus died on the cross. That was God's plan. God came to earth in Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life, died on the cross, died for our sins, rose from the dead. And He now is ascended back into heaven. And He saves those who call upon His name. Every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We invite you to come and receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord today. If you need a church home, we open our doors of our church fellowship to receive you as a part of our church, already having believed on Christ, already having been baptized. We would welcome you to be a part of our church. Or if you uh, have received Christ, but you've never followed him in Christian baptism, believer's baptism, by immersion, we're going to be having a baptism service the last Sunday of this month. We invite you to come and say, I've received Christ, but I've never been baptized. I've never been obedient to the Lord in that manner, and I want to be. You come as we give our invitation. Let's, let's pray. Holy Spirit, work in the lives of every person today. Speak to each heart. Draw people to yourself. Draw people to your church. And I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.